Welcome. This is Alexia Hudson Ward, the Editor-in-Chief of Toward Inclusive Excellence, or TIE for short, a multimedia blog hosted by Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. We explore issues of equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility that affect the higher education community. Among the goals of this channel is the development of a pool of knowledge and actionable resources for information professionals, undergraduates, faculty of all disciplines, campus staff, and administrators at every level, seeking to understand racism from new perspectives and to promote racial justice on their campuses. We are excited to welcome you to our podcast series that borrows its name from the Higher Education Academic Calendar. Therefore, you're listening to Ty's Fall Semester, sponsored by Gail Cengage, to whom we are appreciative for their support. Our Fall Semester podcast features an incredible interview with Dr. Martha S. Jones, the Society of Black Alumni Presidential Professor, Professor of History, and a professor at the SNF Angora Institute at the Johns Hopkins University. She is a legal and cultural historian whose work examines how Black Americans have shaped the story of American democracy. Dr. Jones is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All, released last year on Basic Books. Vanguard was selected as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Read Books for 2020 and was the winner of the LA Time Book Prize for History. These honors are among many awards and accolades bestowed upon Dr. Jones for her writing. Dr. Jones describes herself as a public historian. She is cited in and has contributed to numerous publications such as the New York Times, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post. She has also served as an expert consultant for museum, film, and video productions and curated an exhibition at the William L. Clemens Library at the University of Michigan. Prior to transitioning into academia, Dr. Jones worked as a public interest litigator in New York City. She holds a PhD from Columbia University and a JD from the CUNY School of Law, which bestowed upon her the degree of Honors of Law Honduras Casias in 2019. In our dialogue, Dr. Jones talks about voter rights and voter suppression efforts as companion stories in America. She also discusses how she felt when her book was banned and caught in a political firestorm enacted by a Louisiana Public Library Board. And now on to our conversation with Dr. Martha S. Jones. Martha, thank you so much for joining us for what I know is going to be a really wonderful conversation. And of course, I have several questions for you, and I'm really eager to hear your opinions on a multitude of topics. So I'm going to just jump right in. 
So uh, the first question is, you know, to give our readers and our listeners an overview of your recent book, Vanguard, How Black Women Overcame Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All, and your research focus on how Black Americans have shaped the history of American democracy. Well, first, let me say thank you so much um, for having me. It's really an honor to be here, um, and I'm eager for our conversation. Um, But let me say a little bit about Vanguard. One way to start is to say what the book aimed to be. Uh, It aimed to be uh, an intervention into the making of the centennial of the 19th Amendment. Um, 2020 marked 100 years since the so-called women's suffrage amendment had become part of the Constitution. And I wanted to be um, among those who ensured that the perspectives of Black American women um, was not overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be sure that this was not um, one more anniversary that foregrounded Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan Anthony or Carrie Chapman Catt or Alice Paul, um, that there was a a pantheon of Black women activists who were part of this story. And at the same time, the book turned out to be, in a sense, much more than that, Mm. because as the 2020 election cycle gained momentum, it was clear that Black women Um, were going to play outsized roles in real time in 2020 in politics. It wasn't just a history question at all. It was a 21st century democracy question. And so Black women as organizers, as campaign masterminds, as voters, and as candidates, um, the book ended with leader Stacey Abrams, but it could have as well ended with you know, Congress member Cori Bush of Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. We're finishing the paperback now, and it will end with um, Amanda Gorman mm. uh, on the Inauguration Day poet, um, and of course, Vice President Kamala Harris. And my view um, about the book all along was that you really couldn't understand these 21st century figures of consequence if you didn't appreciate the history out of which they had emerged. And that was the goal of Vanguard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is so interesting, Mark. And I do have a follow-up question with you in relation to that. You know, so much of your work really foregrounds this idea that, you know, the history matters, right? And that there should also be public historians within the context of these various conversations contributing to the ongoing discourse to help to foreground this notion that the history informs what's happening today. Could you talk a little more about how Vanguard's timeliness really helped us to think and contextualize Black women's leadership in a different way? Because as you know, when people often say the word leader, they don't necessarily think about Black women um, from a very stereotypical perspective. So could you talk a little more about that? My ideal reader um, in some sense for this book, the reader I imagined was a public historian, um, was a journalist, was someone working in cultural institutions. These places where history um, is being taught, 
um, promoted, consumed. And I knew that while there are today scores of books, hundreds of articles in the history of Black women's politics, that most folks don't have the time, right, to read the syllabus, right, um, in their busy and demanding professional lives. And so could I craft a book, right, that would challenge some of the, you know, mythical tellings of the history of women in the vote, you know, a story that goes from 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York, and ends in 1920 with the 19th Amendment. Could I craft a book that would challenge that and offer a new narrative in one book um, that would Mm, be a beginning, mm -hmm. right, for folks um, who are coming to this anniversary and coming to the issues um, that Black women in politics today raise, um, could I give them that? Um, And so, you know, it means, for example, you know, challenging and stretching our thinking about stock narratives like the one that goes from Seneca Falls to the 19th Amendment and introducing Black women characters from the earliest decades of the 19th century. You know, women who are many of them at work in Black churches, um, thinking critically about their own relationship to institutions and to power Mm -hmm. um, and asking important questions about how it is that you know, what today we think of as that intersection of racism and sexism is suppressing their capacities um, to be effective political leaders. And that's happening long before Seneca Falls. Black Mm. women are at that work in the 1820s already. And then on the other end of the story where, you know, we might you know, want to tie up a neat bow in 1920 and say, now women have got the vote. Um, But when we introduce the perspectives of Black women, we have to rethink that too, because too many Black women do not get the vote in 1920. And more importantly, maybe everyone knows that they're not going to get the vote in 1920, because now they're going to be disenfranchised Mm -hmm. um, uh, by the Jim Crow laws and the intimidation and violence that have kept Black men from the polls already for a long time. So why is that important if you're a public historian, for example, or a a librarian? Um, It means you've got to include material that goes all the way to 1965 and the modern civil rights era in order to capture that extraordinary moment when Black women and Black men Right, come to the body politic fully for the very first time in U.S. history with the uh, passage of the Voting Rights Act. So that means we're changing our bibliography, we're changing our timelines, we're changing our characters. And I hoped that Vanguard would give folks a place to begin that work. And then I know folks don't love the footnotes, but the footnotes are styled in a way so that then when you want to dig deeper Absolutely. into a particular moment or a particular character, those references are there so that you can um, really develop a, uh, a lesson plan um, or um, an exhibition um, or a display in ways that are really layered and textured. Yeah, no, thank you for Martha. I don't know who these people are that don't like footnotes. <laughs> oh, well. 
I, you know, I don't, they're none of my friends. And they're definitely. Well, listen, well, listen I'm a fan of, you know, um, the footnote. And I didn't get yes. footnotes here. They're actually end notes. They're they, end notes. Yeah, they, yeah. My, my editor was sure that they had to disappear to the back of the book. <laughs> um, but I would have put them at the bottom of the page. Totally. Totally. You will find a friendly audience um, for footnotes and endnotes and all various <laughs> parts of among Thai readers and listeners. So thank you. We are with you and we are in solidarity with you around the importance of all of those citations. Um, you raised something really important, Martha, that I want to expand upon a little bit with you, if you don't mind. And that is this idea of disenfranchisement of the vote for Black women, most specifically. And honest to goodness, you know, as I, I read your book and reread your book, I felt like I was in the modern era. You know, when we look mm. at some of those strategies, we look at kind of the red threads of, of connectivity and relationship to voter suppression. And now here we are in 2021. We have 48 states advancing changes in voting laws that, you know, from the perspective of many experts and many accounts, it looks as if it's going to restrict equitable access to voting in many ways. And it really feels like past this prologue, right? And so how do you view the role of historians in educating the public on the difficulties of our nation's troubled history concerning democracy for all and voting rights? Yeah. Um, I, one way to think about the work of a historian, at least a historian like me, is we do the work of shattering myths. Yes. That is to say, you know, we consume the past oftentimes, you know, through partial truths, through lore. Um, and when it comes to voting rights for women, um, a lot of mythology that has grown up around that topic. Um, and my job, you know, unfortunately, in the eyes of some, right, is to use the historical record and historical interpretation, the historiography, um, to question those myths, but not simply to break them down, but to give us space then to build new histories, um, more inclusive histories, yes. um, more true histories. And so um, that is not always um, the most welcome role of a historian, but it is one. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think that um, in the U.S., we um, oftentimes default to a sort of a Whiggish view of U.S. history as unfolding by way of progress and that project of perfection. And my view when it comes to voting rights is that what history teaches us is a different sort of dynamic, a different kind of lesson about how history has unfolded. Mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, I think what history shows us is that in U.S. history, voting rights and voter suppression have always been companion stories. Mm -hmm. um, that we go back to the early 19th century um, and that moment in the 1820s and 1830s when now um, white men, unpropertied men, um, unschooled men, non-elite white men will win the vote. And we recall that as a kind of moment of important 
uh, an important sea change in American democracy. At that very moment, black men in states like New York and Pennsylvania are having their votes curtailed or Mm -hmm. rescinded altogether in the case of Pennsylvania. And it turns out that these are two parts of the same story. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there was a a golden age um, of voting rights between 1965 um, and the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 2013, when the Voting Rights Act was um, gutted by the Supreme Court in the case of um, Shelby County versus Holder. Maybe that was a golden age. But here we sit in 2021, I think once again, wrestling with that companion, those companion impulses in this country, which is um, universal voting rights on the other and the seeming necessity of restricting access to the polls for um, other Americans. Those two things are coexisting in this moment. And I think that's really the predominant story. If I can say one more thing, Mm -hmm, right, for us in the 21st century is in part an appreciation of how deeply entrenched voter suppression is in our political culture. Yes. Voter suppression isn't new um, and it isn't something that has, you know, sort of entered from some other world, right? It is homegrown. Um, It is part of our political tradition. And that is important to know as we look, those of us who do, as we look to combat it, um, as we look to overcome it, um, that we are engaged in a formidable struggle and not simply, if you will, a struggle of our own time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are really um, amazing points, Martha. And as I was listening to you um, in relation to the point that you made about Americans most specifically wrestling with the myth shattering that you as a public historian and others have to embark upon, you know, it brings me to the circumstance of your book being banned, which blew my mind, you know, and so, you know, I just want to say for the record, I am so honored to know you. Um, You are the first person that I personally know whose book has been banned. And, you know, as I was reading the story of that, of the ration, the so-called rationale of the public library board in Louisiana who took this action. You know, it was around, there's allegedly some other truth (laughs) that your book, you know, there's another side that your book wasn't covering. And and I I was just, my breath was taken away. I'm still, my breath is still taken away um, by it, even though it happened, you know, earlier this year. And so I can only begin to imagine like the range of emotions that you must have gone through to have that circumstance happen and for it to happen at the hands of a public library board. Um, And so how has this experience of having your book banned inform and affirms your commitment to your research agenda? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is, um, you know, your friends and colleagues um, uh, try and walk you through and, you know, walk through with you a a tough moment like this moment when Vanguard is part of a 
a, a proposed program at a public library funded by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. And when the library declines to um, uh, sponsor this carefully crafted uh, program, um, you know, developed by local um, educators, your friends try and walk you through and, and there's always a little bit of humor, right? Well, you're, you know, gosh, you've, you've joined the ranks of, you know, the greats, right? Yes. You know, Toni Morrison, Frederick yes. Douglass, Harriet Jacobs, right? The people you write about, right? Um, their works have also been banned or challenged. And I had to get a very quick education um, because I didn't think I, I didn't really understand, right, how pervasive um, the banning and challenging of books continues to be. And the American Library Association becomes, you know, my resource and my ally very quickly as I'm trying to educate myself. And I discover there are hundreds of books. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, that means that there are other folks who say to you, you know, banned books are just an ordinary part of the political landscape in this country. And that is another kind of shocking revelation, yes, right? Yes. That people who are in the business, right, um, uh, say this is unfortunate, but it's not unique, right? And um, and you have to sort of take that in um, as well. I think that for me, um, my first thoughts were about this criticism of the program and by virtue of that of Vanguard, which is somehow it didn't tell both sides of the story mm -hmm. of Amer voting rights in America. And I really, while I understand that's sort of a rhetorical, you know, kind of intervention, it's not really, it's not really a substantive challenge. Right. I really wanted to think about my book, you know, does my book tell both sides? And in fact, it does, it does. if you will, right? That Vanguard, you know, introduces uh, a whole range of characters who um, are dead set against Black women getting the votes in various ways, um, including suffragists and members of Congress and, and more. Um, but it is true that I don't depict those characters um, with perhaps the same compassion, right, or the same sympathy as I do the women who are struggling to uh, win universal voting rights mm -hmm. in this country. And so I think we also have to own, right, that I write a book, I have to own that I write a book like Vanguard um, to um, foreground women who I call the Vanguard, which tells you something about how I see them. And that not all characters, all sides are there, but not all sides fare as well. There's one more thing, though, um, is it very quickly, I, my thinking um, about this incident went to the library patrons in mm -hmm. Lafayette, Louisiana, mm -hmm. and the community there. Because one of the questions that I most frequently get when I'm out or out on Zoom talking about <laughs> Vanguard when we acknowledge that most of these conversations have happened virtually. Yes. Um, but it's meant I've spoken to many more people than I would if I was having to be there in person. And again and again, the question, 
why didn't I learn this in school? Mm-hmm. And when you recognize that as part of the frame for this history and, and many of our histories, young and old people alike, I realize the public library, right, is that place yes. where now we are all permitted, invited to be lifelong learners, right, and to make up for the many deficits, right, in our own education, to um, imbibe, right, what's new, what's cutting edge, right, what what we didn't even know when we were in school, right, where our teachers couldn't have taught because it hadn't been written yet. Right, right. And so here, um, it's important to say this story has a, a sort of happy ending because a local university library kind of adopts the program and makes sure that it happens. It's not the same, frankly, as happening in the local public library, but right. it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think for me, I the echoes of that question, why didn't I learn this in school? It's not simply by oversight, that it is also by design. And yes. that's what was happening in that library, is that people were looking to curate what people could know, what folks could learn, how they could think critically about voting rights. And that is, if you will, a sin, right, of commission and not omission. And that is part of what's at work and part of what, you know, we all um, wrestle with in um, in our um, in the trenches of, of education and um, librarianship and, and much more. Yes, yes. And, and thank you so much. And I'm so glad that that ended up with a happy ending. Um, it totally needed to. Um, but I think it really did a lot of consciousness awareness for many, I know, of your colleagues and many more of mine around, gosh, we're still in the trenches with these types of battles, you know, and particularly many of us who look at libraries as one of the cornerstones of democracy. Um, that we we were all kind of struck <laughs> struck by this. I remember all the Twitter conversations we had. So I'm glad that it ended up in a happy place. But yes, um, it speaks to the the work ahead of us, um, nonetheless. And this also then goes into my last question for you, Martha. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you again. Is you know what advice do you have for my colleagues in libraries as we continuously advocate for democratizing knowledge? and access to information? That's a huge question, Um, but I'll try. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I I think um, the first is related to our conversation about um, this library dust up in in Louisiana. Um, We must be clear-eyed about where we are in the evolution of this country when it comes to learning, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to history and culture, um, we cannot hope, I don't think, to, you know, shutter ourselves, you know, whether it's in our libraries or our classrooms or our museums, that is not where we are. And um, we need to acknowledge and appreciate that we are not going to be um, uh, able to avoid right the the controversies we see some of them right mm-hmm. blow up 
right? You know, the 1619 project, yes. you know, becomes a national and a, a tremendous controversy. But there are countless small versions of that. And I don't think we can avoid that. And I do a lot of, um, you know, um, teacher training and, and, you know, public school teachers are also on the front lines of Mm -hmm. this. And um, maybe there was a time where we thought we could help teachers figure out how to avoid that. Um, But I think like educators, librarians are, you know, just not going to be able to avoid this, right? And yes. we're all on the front lines, whether whatever setting we're in. So I think we have to be clear-eyed about that and just take a deep breath. And then how do we go forward? Um, so I, I want to say, um, maybe it sounds trite and because historians say it so often, but we say it so often because it's true. You know, librarians, archivists, curators are our essential allies. Um, And I think it is important in the face of the battles that are in front of us um, to know your allies and to honor them um, and to know them better. Um, And one of the, you know, silver linings of the dust up in Lafayette, Louisiana for me, right, was that all of a sudden I was understanding and talking with and, you know, building relationships with folks at the American Library Association. Mm -hmm. And those were not relationships I had had um, before. So I think that we need to know one another, to appreciate one another, which I think we all often do in the abstract, right? But to appreciate one another as essential allies, that we are going to need to link arms with one another, as folks did with me so generously. Absolutely. Um, And that needs to be part of our strategy going forward. No longer can we be in our professional silos, our institutional silos. But the last piece um, is a lesson I took from the women of Vanguard. I learned a lot writing the book and reading about um, the, you know, the the insight, uh, the courage um, and the strategic savvy of, of Black women activists. And here, what I took away was that our work must always be simultaneously in the trenches and in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? That you know, we have to do the day in, day out, you know, work of, uh, I'm working on my syllabus now for the fall, you know, and I have to deal with schedules and book orders and requirements and grading and room assignments. You know, our work lives are oftentimes feel like all about that. And that's important, right? You know, that that is the way the work gets done. And I believe there's meaning, right? In, yes. You know, in that work, that everyday work in the trenches. But at the same, and, the, and for the women of Vanguard, right, that means, you know, getting out the vote, turning up at the polls, you know, registering, right, doing all of those things that it takes to be a voter, you know, to exert influence on the, on the political process, etc. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the women in Vanguard, when they get the microphone, they talk about the big ideas, right? They yes. remind us that this is a project that is 
at the core of American democracy. Right? This is at the core of the founding ideals. Right? This is at the core of who we are as a nation. And that for them, the simultaneous and intersecting struggle against racism and sexism is that lofty ideal. Now, Vanguard is a book about, in part, how Black women sort of hold up that banner. And for a very long time, no one joins them to carry it. Um, But the nation does catch up. And it's a reminder that our work is both you know, immediate, you know, who's in front of you, who's the patron, who's the student, you know, who's the, who's right in front of you that you've got to do the work with. Um, And at the same time, we're working and investing in what we hope are transformations that will only play out over generations. Um, And so I, for one, um, am old enough to recognize and feel quite confident when I say, you know, I have been in this for the long haul, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, and, and when I say in this, right, it is in, you know, the struggle for civil rights, uh, for equality, for justice, for voting rights, and much more. And I understand that we have to speak those big values, those big principles when we get the opportunity and bring folks on board that way. Um, And that will bear fruit. Maybe not always when you're, you know, squabbling over, you know, a budget or, you know, (laughs) you know, or, or, you know, or, or, you know, staff lines. Right. Um, But you're planting those seeds so that we all carry those um, important and um, oftentimes elusive, but essential principles with us. And so, um, so speak your truth when you get the chance, um, even if not everybody is listening, I think is, is part of how we will weather and, and prevail even in the coming years, I hope. Martha, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Thank you for all of the shout outs and the kudos to the American Library Association. I know that my colleagues have nothing but tremendous respect and reverence for you and the amazing work that you've done. And we were more than happy to support uh, Vanguard and to continue to promote the excellent and outstanding work that you do. So thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. You are welcome. Thank you for listening to our Toward Inclusive Excellence Fall Semester Podcast with Dr. Martha S. Jones, author of Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All. This podcast was sponsored by Gail Cengage. Meeting the needs of diverse learners has always been a priority for Gail, part of the Cengage Group. Gail's publishing strategy is focused on providing historical and current perspectives that deepen our collective understanding of social justice issues to shape a better future. I encourage you to sign up for reminders of new Toward Inclusive Excellent content releases and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your time and support. Be well.